Hello, and welcome to the teaching ministry of Impact Family Church. For more information, including service times and directions, or to find out more about us, you can visit our website at www.impactfamilychurch.com. We trust you'll be blessed by today's message. With me tonight in your Bible to the third chapter of the book of Acts. Acts chapter 3. Glory to God. Thank you, Father. Acts chapter 3. And I want to continue or pick up, rather, uh, where I left off talking this morning. And in Acts chapter 3, it talks about that before the time of the Lord, verse 21 there must come times of restoration. He said, whom heaven, talking about Christ, whom heaven must receive until the times of restoration of all things which God has spoken by the mouth of all his holy prophets since the world began. And if you go back in the chapter a little little bit, you'll understand that he's talking about the things concerning Christ. Everything that has been spoken of the Lord Everything that is in the person of the Lord, everything that Christ is, it says there must be times of restoration of these things. And so we're living in the last days. Amen. We're living in the last of the last days. And he said before the Lord returns, which we know that's imminent, it could come at any moment, that there will be times of restoration. Well, we're living in those times right now. Amen. So we identified three things. We don't mean to say that this is, this is all there is to it, but there are three things at least that must be restored in the church. It's not so much God restoring something in the sense that he took it away from us, but we know the church has, has walked away from some things. And when, and when the church walks away from some things of God, those things cease to function like they should. And so God then has to send times of revival, seasons of revival that's talking about in the, in the previous verse there uh, to restore these things to the church. So there's three things in particular that we've identified and we've talked about the first one. I wanna continue on that line tonight. And that's the three things are, the, are a restoration of the character of Christ, the authority of Christ and the power of Christ. And so we're talking about a restoration of the character of Christ. And that just simply means that before Jesus returns in the church, the character of Christ uh, will, uh, the church will be restored in the sense of its character, to have the character of Christ. How many of you understand there are a lot of Christians that don't exhibit a whole lot of character? It doesn't mean they're not saved, doesn't mean that God doesn't love them, but a lot of people are living too close to the world and and it is a, Uh, It is a compromise of their testimony and a compromise of their witness and it compromises their fellowship. We're we're living in the end time. Folks, we cannot afford to live close to the world. This is not the time to be identifying with the world, trying to be like the world, think like the world and act like the world. Amen. We read this morning that friendship with the world is enmity with God. And whoever wants to be a friend of the world is, makes himself an enemy of God. Well, we certainly don't want that working, do we? Amen. So I want to talk to you tonight a little bit and, uh, and something about something that I think is very important and, and just warn you about some things that are ahead that we need to be aware of. 
Uh, go with me to 1 Peter chapter 4. 1 Peter chapter 4. <clears throat> Hallelujah. First Peter chapter four, verse 17 says, for the time has come for judgment to begin at the house of God. And if it begins with us, us first, what will be the end of those who do not obey the gospel of God? I want you to notice here, that it says that the time has come for judgment to begin at the house of God. And we know from the scriptures when the New Testament talks about the house of God, it's not talking about brick and mortar. It's talking about the church. The church is the house of God. The church is the temple of God. Isn't that right? So it says the time has come for judgment to begin with us first, with the church. And we know that it's talking about the church in distinction from the world because it says, if it begins with us first, what will be the end of those who do not obey the gospel? So you can say it like this, that the time has come for judgment to begin among the people who've obeyed the gospel. Amen. Now this isn't a, a, a very popular uh, idea. And there's a lot of people today that would challenge me and say that... Uh, all judgment has been placed on Christ at the cross and uh, all the judgment's taken care of and there is no judgment. Well, uh, this verse would, would indicate something different, wouldn't it? I said, wouldn't it? I, uh, I want to read you something. I, I talked about this a few weeks back and I, le I read a little bit a number of weeks ago, a little bit of the vision that... Uh, Kenneth Hagin had, and, and I've always been careful, if, if you've been around here for any length of time, you know that I don't refer to a lot of people's ministry uh, in, in supporting things that I preach and, you know, quoting this person, quoting that person, and the simple reason is I don't have confidence in a lot of people. There's a lot of people that are well-known ministers that... Uh, that uh, that have a great following, but I don't see balance a lot of times in their lives. And uh, the reason I quote Kenneth Hagin is because he's a man that lived for uh, over 60 years in the ministry and he was faithful. And he was above anything else, I guess he was a man of balance and a man of integrity with a proven ministry. You know, in, in times past I've talked about uh, different people who have prophesied of revival for these last days. And, you know, prophecies that come in, in not from the scripture, that come in modern times, they come through vessels that are imperfect. And so we never build doctrine on prophecies. Uh, it has to line up with the word of God. On the other hand, when people have proven ministries over decades and decades uh, then the things that they say uh, have a little weight. They don't have the weight of Scripture, but they do have weight. And talking about the, the, uh, a revival, that there would be a great end time, last great revival is something that has been prophesied and spoken by many people of renown. I'm talking about in the last hundred years. 
Uh, you know, uh, William Seymour talked about revival. Uh, 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 William uh, 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 Smith Wigglesworth talked about the, uh, a great end time revival. Uh, uh, David Duplessis talked about a great end time revival. Uh, uh, Kenneth Hagin talked about, prophesied about a great end time revival. So we have voices in, in Lester Summerall and other people talked about this. And so these were all people who had proven ministries, God honored ministries over a broad period of time. Well, these things are important and, we, and, it's, and it's good to remind ourselves of these things. You know, Paul told Timothy, he said, uh, wage a good warfare by the prophecies that have come forth about you, the prophecies that I've given and other people have given. He said, by those prophecies, wage a good warfare. So that means we're supposed to use those things, amen? And, uh, and so where Kenneth Hagin is concerned, there was a, 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 a vision that he received in, uh, on September the 2nd, 1950, and I referred to it and read just a little bit uh, of that a few weeks ago. And, uh, and I want to read the, the whole vision tonight and get to the last part of that. There's something I want to talk about. Uh, but this was a, this, was a, a, this night, uh, he received actually three visions the same night, one right after another. And uh, he writes about it in his book, I Believe in Visions. This is an account of eight different times that the Lord Jesus appeared to him uh, in those early years. Now, after this book was written, the Lord appeared to him uh, uh, concerning some other things. But uh, here in this book, I Believe in Visions, he said that, uh, let me see if I can find the place where he starts here. He said, at the time of this experience, I'm just going to read this. It will only take a couple, a few minutes. He said, at the time of this experience, I was conducting a tent revival in Rockwall, Texas. Now, this was, uh, he says, um, during the latter part of August and the first part of September 1950, on Saturday, September the 2nd, it rained all day. Not a hard driving rain, but a slow, gentle soaking rain. It was still raining that evening at church time. And when we arrived at the tent, there were only about 40 people present. I tell you, God can do great things with just a few people. Amen. There were only 40 people present. Rockwall is in the black land of north central Texas, and there is a saying that if you stick with the black land, black land when it is dry, it will stick with you when it's wet. Many of the people who had been attending the meetings lived in the country and they couldn't get out to service that night because of the rain and mud. That is why the crowd was small. Because everybody present was a Christian, I gave a Bible lesson and then invited the people to come to the front to pray. It was about 9.30. Let me say here that I no more expected what was to happen than I expected to be the first man to land on the moon. I hadn't been doing any unusual praying or fasting. I hadn't been praying that I would have such an experience. In fact, I haven't, hadn't even thought about such a thing. Everyone was praying around the front and I knelt on the platform beside a folding chair near the pulpit. I began to pray in other tongues and I heard a voice say, come up hither. At first, I didn't realize that the voice was speaking to me. I thought everybody heard it. Now, he doesn't say here in the book, but I heard Dad Hagen tell this story on numerous occasions, and he said, actually, he thought there was some hoodlums back behind the tent just trying to cause a disturbance, and he thought they were saying that. And so he ignored it, and, uh, and, and again, he heard the words come up hither, and he ignored it again. 
And he heard it a third time. And finally he thought, I wonder when some of the ushers aren't going to go back there and, and take care of whatever's going on behind this tent. So he ignored it again. Finally, when, it, when he heard the words come up hither again, he looked up from where he was kneeling. And, uh, well, I'll go ahead with, with, with writing here. Come up hither, the voice said again. Then I looked and saw Jesus standing about where the top of the tent would be. As I looked up again, the tent had disappeared, that is in the vision form. The folding chairs had disappeared. Every tent pole had disappeared. The pulpit had disappeared. And God permitted me to see into the spirit realm. Jesus was standing there and I stood in his presence. He was holding a crown in his hand. The crown was so extraordinarily beautiful that human language cannot begin to describe it. Jesus told me this is a soul winner's crown. My people are so careless and indifferent. This crown is for every one of my children. I speak and say, go speak to this one or pray for that one, but my people are too busy. They put it off and souls are lost because they will not obey me. When Jesus said that, I wept before him. I knelt down and repented of my failures. Then Jesus said to me again, come up hither. It seemed as if I went with him through the air until we came to a beautiful city. I remember hearing Brother Hagin say that at the time of this visit, this visitation, he had, not, he had never been on an airplane. He'd never flown. Years later, when he started flying, you know, to his meetings, the first time he went up on an airplane and began to pierce through the clouds, he thought, this is just like that vision I had when I went up with the Lord. He said, we went up through the air and through the clouds. That's what it felt like and looked like. Anyway, he said, uh, uh, it was, he, he went up to see a, a, a beautiful city. We went through the air until we came to a beautiful city. We did not actually go into the city but we beheld it at close range as one might go up on a mountain and look down on a city in the valley. Its beauty was beyond words. Jesus said that people selfishly say they are ready for heaven. Then they talk about their mansions and the glories of heaven while many around them live in darkness and hopelessness. Jesus said I should share my hope with them and invite them to come with me. Then Jesus turned to me and said, let us now go down to hell. We came back out of heaven, and when we got to the earth, we didn't stop but kept going. Numerous scriptures in the Bible refer to hell as being beneath us. For example, hell from beneath is moved for thee to meet thee at thy coming, for thou shalt be brought down to hell. That's in Isaiah 14, 9 and 15. And then in 5, 14, it says, Therefore hell hath enlarged herself, and he shall descend into it. So he goes on to say, we went down to hell and as we went into that place, I saw what appeared to be human beings wrapped in flames. I said, Lord, this looks just like it did when I died and came to this place on April the 22nd, 1933. You spoke and I came up out of here. I then repented and prayed, seeking your forgiveness and you saved me. Only now I feel so different. I'm neither afraid nor horrified as I was then. Jesus told me, warn men and women about this place. And I cried out, cried out with tears that I would. Then he brought me back to the earth. I became aware that I was kneeling on the platform by the folding chair. And Jesus was standing by my side. As he stood there, he talked to me about my ministry. He told me some things in general that he later explained in more detail in another vision. Then Jesus disappeared and I realized I was still kneeling on the platform. I could hear people praying all around me. So the people around him had no idea what had taken place. 
He goes on to say, about that time, the Holy Spirit came upon me again. It, was, it seemed as if a wind was blowing on me and I fell flat on my face on the platform. As I lay under the power of God, it seemed as if I was standing high on a plane somewhere in space and I could see for miles and miles all around me just as one can stand on the great plains of the United States and gaze off into the distance for miles. I looked in every direction, but I couldn't see a sign of life anywhere. There were no trees, no grass, no flowers or vegetation of any kind. There were no birds or animals. I felt so lonely. I was not conscious of my earthly surroundings. As I looked to the west, I saw what appeared to be a tiny dot on the horizon. It was the only moving thing I could see. As I watched, it grew larger and came toward me, taking on shape and form. Soon I could see it was a horse. As it came closer, I could see a man upon the horse. He was riding toward me at full speed. As he approached, I could see he held the reins of the horse's bridle in his right hand, and in his left hand, high above his head, he held a scroll of paper. When the horseman reached me, he pulled on the reins and stopped. I stood on his right. He passed the roll from his left, the scroll from his left hand to his right hand and handed it to me. As I unrolled the scroll, which was a roll of paper 12 or 14 inches long, he said, take and read. At the top of the page in big black, bold black print were the words war and destruction. I was struck dumb. He laid his right hand on my head and said, read in the name of Jesus Christ. I began to read what was written on the paper and as the word instructed me, I looked and saw what I had just read about. First, I read about thousands upon thousands of men in uniform. Then I looked and saw these men marching, wave after wave of soldiers marching as to war. I looked in the direction they were going and as far as I could see, there were thousands of men marching. I turned and read the scroll again and then looked and saw what I had just read about. I saw many women, old women with snowy white hair, middle-aged women, young men, women, and teenagers. Some of the younger ones held babies in their arms. All of the women were bowed together in sorrow and were weeping profusely. Those who did not carry babies held their hands on their stomachs as they bowed over and wept. Teared flows flowed from their eyes like water. I looked at the scroll again and, I, and again I looked to see what I had read about. I saw the skyline of a large city. Looking closer, I saw the skyscrapers were burned out holes. Portions of the city lay in ruins. ruins. It was not written that just one city would be destroyed, burned and, and in ruins, but that there would be many such cities destroyed. The scroll was written in the first person and it seemed as if Jesus himself was speaking. I read, America is receiving her last call. Now remember, this was 1950. America is receiving her last call. Some nations already have received their last call and will never receive another. Then in larger print, it said, the time of the end of all things is at hand. The statement was repeated four or five times. Jesus also said this was the last great revival. He went on to say all the gifts of the Spirit will be in operation in, in the church in these last days. And the church will do greater things than even the early church did. 
It will have greater power, signs, and wonders than were recorded in the Acts of the Apostles. He said that we have seen and experienced many healings, but we will now behold amazing miracles that have not been seen before. Jesus continued, meant more and more miracles will be performed in the last days which are just ahead, for it is time for the gift of the working of miracles to be more in prominence. We have ent now entered into the era of the miraculous. Many of my own people will not accept the moving of my spirit and will turn back and will not be ready to meet me at my coming. Well, we've seen that today, haven't we? Many will be deceived by false prophets and miracles of satanic origin, but follow the word of God, the spirit of God and me, this is Jesus talking, and you will not be deceived. I am gathering my own together and am preparing them for the time is short. There were several other exhortations to watchfulness, to awaken and pray, and, to, and not to be deceived. Then I read, as it was in the days of Noah, so also shall the coming of the Son of Man be. As I spoke to Noah and said, for yet seven days, and I will cause it to rain upon the earth forty days and forty nights, and every living substance that I have made will I destroy from the face of the earth. So today I am speaking and giving America her last warning and call to repentance. And the time that is left is comparable to the last seven days of Noah's time. Warn this generation as Noah did his generation. Now here's the thing I wanted you to hear tonight. Warn this generation as Noah did his generation for judgment is about to fall. And these things shall be fulfilled shortly for I am coming soon. Jesus repeated, this is the last revival. I am preparing my people for my coming. Judgment is coming, but I will call my people away even unto myself before the worst shall come. Be thou faithful, watch and pray, for the time of the end of all things is at hand. Uh, he goes on to say, those who were present that night under the tent said, I read the scroll aloud for 30 minutes. I cannot remember all of it. I handed the scroll back to the writer and he rode away in the direction from which he had come. Then I was conscious of the fact that I still lay flat on my face on the floor and for a few minutes I remained there feeling the glory of this miraculous visitation. Again I heard a voice say, come up hither, come up to the throne of God. Now this was the third vision we won't go into. He went on up into heaven and saw some things uh, uh, that have come to pass in his ministry. We won't go into all of that. But the thing that I wanted you to see is he said, warn this generation for judgment is about to fall. Well, before judgment can be poured out in the world, this scripture says the time has come for judgment to begin in the house of God. Amen. The time has come. It begins with us first. Now, there's two ways you can look at this. You can look at this and say, well, judgment. God's going to judge us and he's going to pour his wrath out on us. It didn't say that. It said it didn't say that. It said the time has come for judgment to begin at the house of God. Go with me over to 1 Corinthians chapter 11. 1 Corinthians chapter 11. Talking about receiving communion, 
1 Corinthians 11 tells us, Therefore, whoever eats this bread or drinks this cup of the Lord in an unworthy manner will be guilty of the body and blood of the Lord. But let a man examine himself, and so let him eat of the bread and drink of the cup. For he who eats and drinks in an unworthy manner eats and drinks judgment to himself, not discerning the Lord's body. For this, for this reason, many are weak and sick among you, and many sleep. When he's talking about sleeping, he's talking about premature death. They've, he said many people are sick, weak, and some have died prematurely. So he said, and he's talking to Christians, and he's talking about Christians. How could an unsaved person discern the Lord's body? And what would he be doing partaking of communion anyway? So this is talking about people who've been blood washed, born again, but they partake of communion in an unworthy manner. If you go back and look at the context, the context of this unworthy manner and the context of not discerning the Lord's body primarily has to do with not walking in love. That's what was happening in the church here. This is what he was addressing. He said, you come to, to, to church to have a communion meal and, and, and some of you uh, are so excessive and some of you eat and drink and the others don't have anything. You're not considering one another. You're not walking in love towards one another. You're not discerning the Lord's body. So not walking in love and not considering one another is what he's talking about of partaking in an unworthy manner. And he says those who partake in an unworthy manner eat and drink judgment to themselves. Well, we don't want that. Then he said, for if we would judge ourselves, we would not be judged. But when we are judged, we are chastened by the Lord that we may not be condemned with the world. Therefore, my brethren, when you come together to eat, wait for one another. But if anyone is hungry, let him eat at home, lest you come together for judgment. And the rest I will set in order when I come. This notion that uh, that God never judges his own just doesn't stand up in the light of scripture. He said here, children of God, Christians, believers were sick, weak, sick, and some had died prematurely because they had not discerned the Lord's body. And, and, he, and he says this is, came, came about as the result of the Lord judging them. If we would judge ourselves, we would not be judged. He said they ate and drank judgment to themselves. Well, when we read over here in First uh, Peter that the time has come for judgment to begin at the house of God, you know, it, you, can, you choose how it comes. You, you really want to get in on this. This is judgment you want to get in on because you can judge yourself. For, for, for most of the time, most people have read this and said, well, judgment is coming. God's going to judge his church, you know. Well, uh, it, it says it's time, the time has come for judgment to begin at the house of God. It can begin with you and me judging ourselves and we satisfy that scripture. Do you see that? Instead of being judged by the Lord, let's judge ourselves. This is what the Lord is inviting us to do in these last days. That's why I'm talking about 
uh, a restoration of the character of Christ. Getting things right. Not being so bullheaded. Not being so proud and resistant, but humbling ourselves in the presence of God and, and being willing to make the necessary changes in our own lives to come into conformity to the word of God. That's what God wants. God, God does not, we read in, in previous times that God does not rejoice in judgment. God, God doesn't take pleasure in judging people, unsaved or saved. He would much rather we judge ourselves and he, ourselves and he's inviting us to do that. He's warning us to do that. Amen. God can't really judge the world when the church is acting just like the world. Amen. How many of you parents have had another parent get on to your child, correct your child, and you thought, you ought to go correct your own child? Come on now. Have you ever, you ever felt that way? Before you start taking up an issue with my kid, why don't you watch what your young'un's doing running around acting like a loon? Yeah. I remember growing up, there was a boy in the church that I was a friend with. His name was Dale Jump. And he and I were always in trouble together. But his parents never, the way I remember, this is what my mom said, okay? <laughs> it might not be completely the whole picture, but, but uh, his dad, uh, Dale's dad would come out of church and, and he would catch me doing something I shouldn't be doing, running around, you know, just doing things, you know, getting into things I shouldn't have. And, and he would get on to me and go tell my parents. And, and I'd come home and I remember my mom being so mad. She'd say, if he'd, just find, if he'd just take care of his own son. Well, there's a principle there. God's not gonna judge the world before taking care of business in the church. Amen. And the way he's taking care of business, the way he prefers to do it, he prefers to stir us up to recognize, you know what? We can grow, we can, we can shape up, we can do better. We can be more like him than we are. We can live closer to him than we've been living. We can draw closer than we've ever. There's not a person in this, in this auditorium tonight that can't draw closer to God. Amen, that can't be more consecrated and more. This is not the time to be living like the world or close to the world, thinking like the world, acting like the world and loving the world. This is a time, this is a time, Jesus is coming back. Jesus is coming back. This is the time to grow close to him, to put first things first, to put God first in our life, to really put him first. Not give lip service to it. Not talk about how God's first place in your life and then your actions show everything else in the world is more important. Amen. Putting God first in everything. Truly being sold out to God. This is the time for that. Amen. So I've come to you to warn you tonight about judgment and to tell you, you need to get in on it. <laughs> you need to take advantage of it. Amen. Don't be judged. Judge yourself. Oh, hallelujah. Glory to God. One, one place we can judge ourselves is in the area of prayer or our lack thereof. In Brother Hagin's book, Tongues Beyond the Upper Room, uh, he, he made this statement on page 344. He's, this is Brother Hagin writing in, in more recent times. He says, but if we are going to usher in 
the next mighty move of God's spirit in these last days, judgment must begin at the house of God. There is so much more God wants to do for his people, but he can't do what he wants to until Christians humble themselves, forget their petty little differences, and come together in unity and enter the realm of the spirit in prayer. God is calling us to answer his call to pray in these last days. Jesus is coming soon, but before he comes, there is something he wants to do, and what he does on this, on this earth, he will do through his body, his church. The body has no coordination when half of its members are going one way and the other half are going the other way. So God is getting us ready. He is calling us to a common goal, to yield to the prompting of the Holy Spirit to pray in other tongues. The next wave is about to burst upon us in all of its glory and every one of us should be determined not to miss it. The Lord told me that there is a depth of prayer and intercession in the spirit that will be lost unless we who are experienced in prayer somehow get these truths over to this present generation of believers. Brother Hagin goes on, he says, I've, I've known a few folks over the years who were great intercessors and who became experts in this deep, deeper realm of praying in the Holy Ghost. But God wants more who can pray like those few. He must have more believers who know how to pray in that deeper realm because there is a job to get done in these last days. If his plans and purposes are to be fulfilled in this late hour, more and more of his people must say no to their flesh and spend time praying out divine mysteries to God. However, it is important to understand that these things will not always come easy. For one thing, the flesh will do everything possible to hold us back. That's the reason the word of God teaches us to crucify the flesh. The mind will also hold us back, trying to make us focus on the realm of the physical senses and what we can see. That's one reason God tells us to get our minds renewed with his word. Once our minds are renewed, we'll be able to move further into the realm of his spirit through prayer. But as more and more, notice how he keeps talking about more and more. We need more and more people. But as more and more of us respond to God's call to pray, there will begin to be greater and greater manifestations of his power and glory in this earth. The manifestation and demonstrations of God's spirit will become as common and as real as everyday natural things are to us. This is what our hearts have longed for and what intercessors have prayed for so many years. I'll tell you this much. This is Brother Hagen writing. I tell, I'll tell you this much. Jesus is coming. There's no use splitting hairs about that truth because it will happen whether you believe it or not. So let us commit ourselves to praying in the Spirit so a great harvest of souls can be reaped in these last days. People are dying and the end is coming. The end of all things is at hand. I'm wondering when he wrote that, was he thinking about that scripture or he might have been thinking about that, that uh, vision he had. The end of all things is at hand and what we must do and what we must do, we must do quickly. The Lord is calling us to prayer and I for one am determined to answer that call. Do you want to go with me? Just declare, count me in. Then walk through the doorway to the supernatural and enter a whole new realm of prayer in the spirit. It's a realm where revelation, direction, and supernatural communication with God are continually provided to help you fulfill all he's called you to do in this hour. Amen. Hallelujah.
Glory to God. You want to you want to be called into the ministry? Here's the here's here's a uh, the greatest ministry there is. You don't need a special call at all. He's taking volunteers. Amen. He's accepting volunteers. The greatest ministry there is is the ministry of prayer. Amen. It, it's more important right now that that Christians learn to pray, I suppose, than any other thing. Amen. Hallelujah. Praise God. Well, we're living in the last days and important times and a time of of great demonstration by God's uh, spirit and we need to be ready. We need to be in. Amen. We need to be all in, 100% in. Amen. Glory to God. Let's, Let's stand for a few minutes. And uh, you've been sitting for a few minutes. Just stand there for a few minutes and let's just pray in the spirit for a little bit. Glory to God. About these last days, just pray in the Holy Ghost. Glory to God. Praise the Lord. I want to read this. I, I stopped earlier and didn't read this. I hadn't really made up my mind to do it, but I feel prompted to read this now. At the end of, of Brother Hagin's book, Tongues Beyond the Upper Room, at the end of the book, he uh, he. he uh, printed, they printed a prayer that Brother Hagin prayed on behalf of the church. I want to read this. I think it'll bless you. He said, forgive us, O Lord. We have fallen and come so far short of the prayer life you intended us to have. We have settled for such a low grade of fellowship with you until the things of the Spirit are so unreal to us while mental and physical things are so very real and dominate us. I want you to notice, remember me when I was talking about Daniel, how he prayed for uh, Israel, for his own people, how he identified with them and, and repented on their behalf? This is what, there's, a, there's a principle of identification when you uh, are interceding for people is sometimes you have to stand in their place. And, and God will honor that. Now, that doesn't mean that other people that you're praying for, it doesn't mean they don't have to repent. doesn't mean that they don't have to get right with God. That's not what I'm saying when I say that you can stand in somebody's place and pray for them and, and uh, uh, take upon yourself their situation and, and God will honor that. They still have to respond themselves. But what this does is it gives God the, the, the ability to move in their life. Amen. And that's what Brother Hagin was doing here. He went on to say, may we do just what the Bible commands us to do. Present our bodies a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable unto you, which is our reasonable service. And may we not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of our minds until the things of the Spirit become more real to us and until thou, O Father, become just as real in our spirits as the clothes we wear and the automobiles we drive. Then we will move out into the realm of the spirit to pray for thou art the father of all spirits and especially of our spirits for we have been born again and are born of you and and thou hast given to us means of spiritual communication whereby our spirits can be in direct contact with the father of spirits for as Paul said if I pray in an unknown tongue my spirit prayeth but we have taken so little advantage of this means of prayer and have not been able to do what you wanted, and you have not been able to do what you wanted to do with us and for us and in us and through us in the past. We weren't ready. We weren't in place. 
Now we are ready to some extent and you were able to move us forward. But may we not stop here, Lord. May we not be satisfied. May we be like Smith Wigglesworth of old who said, I am satisfied only with the dissatisfaction that has to be satisfied again and again. May we, may we move on from glory to glory. May we understand what you're saying on, about these last days. May we, through intercession and travail, give birth to that wave and to that move of God in the earth that you desire. May we understand what you were saying to our spirits. We sense the urgency of it. We sense the need of it. We sense the necessity of it. May we respond to it, O God, that your holy will may be wrought in this hour and that we may rise up in faith and in the power of the Spirit be the giants in the earth you always intended us to be. May we be sensitive to the Spirit. May we be sensitive to his touch when he arrests our attention. May we know what he wants. May we, res we respond to his promptings that he may manifest himself through us and demonstrate himself among us through signs and wonders, through diverse miracles and distributions of the Holy Spirit. May we respond in the crisis of the hour and in the crisis of the day. And so we shall be ready for whatever arises. We will flow with the Spirit and out of our innermost being shall flow rivers of living water. Then the dry places shall spring forth in beauty and those who are thirsty shall find water to drink. The spiritually dead will be raised and revived and life will be made manifest everywhere. And we shall rejoice and be glad and declare that you have done it. All praise and honor will be given unto you for you deserve it and you are worthy. May we be so dead to the flesh, so dead to selfishness, but so yielded unto the spirit as we do the works of righteousness and perform the works of God so that the acts of God are made manifest in us. For we are in the end times. We face the last days when armies shall gather at Armageddon. That day will come, but there will also come a sweeping harvest that sweeps across the world and around the globe because we prayed, because we dared to stand in that place of prayer. We dared to stand in the gap to make up the hedge and to intercede for the land. Thus the work of God shall be accomplished and that which the Lord desires for the last day shall come to pass and the harvest shall be reaped, the angels shall rejoice, men shall be blessed and the glory of the Lord shall shine around us brighter than the noonday sun in the name of Jesus, amen. Glory to God. I tell you, this is the most exciting time in all of history to be alive. Glory to God. Think about it. To be living at the very moment the trumpet sounds. The dead in Christ are raised up. And we who alive and remain are called up to be with the Lord in the air. To be alive and to be a part of that. To experience that. Whew. Glory to God. Well, he's getting us ready for that. That's what he's getting us ready for. And, and to bring other people with us. Amen. Glory to God. May we be stirred up like never before to pray more than we've ever prayed, to witness and to share more than we ever have. Glory to God. At Impact Family Church, it is our desire to see you blessed through the power of the Word of God. We have been helping people to change their world for over 25 years through our dynamic ministries and teaching. 
If you are going to be in the North Central Florida area and are interested in attending our services or just want more information about us, you can visit us online at www.impactfamilychurch.com.